the announcements sometime before, but I didn't want to leave our choir standing up here. Some of you are benefiting from sitting in those comfortable chairs up here closer to the front, and I know it's been a, a little bit of a hindrance with that, but I appreciate you uh, being here this morning. Of course, Amos in the Old Testament is one of those small books, hard to find. You just find, If you can find Isaiah, you'll see Jeremiah, then you'll find Lamentations, then you'll see Ezekiel, then you'll see Daniel, then you'll find uh, Hosea. You'll find Joel, and you'll run right smack dab into the book of Amos. So you just, that is the area where we're going to be in. It's referred to in a biblical academics. They would call it a min, the minor prophets, but he had a major message, and that's where we've been looking for quite some time last week or so. And going to be there again today. You'll notice there's a rose right here on our communion table. That is in honor of Bellamy Carter Reeve. So, so Jamie and Ken, y'all make sure y'all get that, please. And I deliver that today. Seen the baby this week, and everything's good. Mama's good, baby's good. And a Peyton was sleeping, man. It's about five o'clock in the afternoon. He's asleep when I went by to see him, but I understand. And I just an update on Jim. They get to go by and see him this morning right before service, and he's doing much better. They got the ventilator off of him uh, yesterday, and uh, still in need of prayers. And Brother John Harvey did get to come home from the hospital last night. Got a lot to pray for, a lot of other things we'll mention here in just a second. But tonight, we will need all hands on deck. If you could help us, we're going to move transition from here over to uh, the gym to set up. So all hands on deck, if you could help us tonight after the service, that would be a blessing. But Amos chapter number 7 is where we're going to be looking with the help of the Lord. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a help to you. As we look at this with this major message from the minor prophet, uh, he, according to the Word of God, chapter number 7 in this text, you'll find verse number 14, that he was a herdman and he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. In other words, he was just a country preacher. I mean, he didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't go to the school of the prophets. Yet God used him mightily and in a mighty way. And he had a great message for uh, the people of God. Now, basically, he was ministering to the northern tribe. But now, this was going on during the dividing kingdom. And I'm not taking for granted everybody knows that, what's going on. If you'll remember that uh, when the people of God began to beg for a king, God gave them what they asked for. And you know, one of the greatest judgments that God will give you is when he gives you what you want. He gives you what you ask for. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like other nations. So God said, all right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to give you a king. And they got Saul. And uh, then, of course, that was man's choice. And then God prepared a man after his own heart. Of course, David. David came on the scene. And when David came, there was. A, you think about Saul, you think about David, then David's son Solomon. There was a united kingdom to the north and to the south. It was united, Israel, as a nation. But at the death of Solomon, there became, there became a division. It was divided to the north. There's ten to the north, two to the south. To the south was labeled in your Bible. It's called Judah. To the north was often referred to as Jacob and Israel. Those, used were, those names were used simultaneously. But the capital up to the north would have been in Samaria. The capital down to the south would have been in Jerusalem. Now, basically, Amos ministers to both of them, but his primary target is to the north. Now, during these days, Amos was basically ministering during a time of strength, stability, and security. Because to the north, for 41 years, Jeroboam II had reigned. He reigned longer than anybody, any other king to the north. He reclaimed a lot of the property that had been taken back from the invasions of, of other armies and, and nations had taken land away from the land of Israel. Well, under the leadership of Jeroboam II, they had reclaimed a lot of that all the way back to the Transjordan. And they recovered a lot of that property. Now, to the south, 
Uzziah, which was basically a good godly king till the end, until he intruded into the office of the priesthood. He said, hey, I'm going to go in, and I'm going I'm to offer sacrifices. And that was the priest's responsibility. And as a result, the men tried to withstand him. So he went in. It wasn't due to ignorance. He went in due to rebellion. And God struck him with leprosy. But he had reigned 52 years to the south. And then Jeroboam II had been reigning 41 years to the north. So Amos is ministering during this time. According to the word of God, it was a time of luxury, prosperity, strength, security, and stability. Yet the people had forgot God. They, were, they had great houses. This was basically the middle class. The higher class had been established during these days. And they were going to the religious activities, yet God was far away from them. And you know, if you look at the parallels of Amos' day and our day, there's really not a whole lot of difference. You think about this. Think about luxury that was going on according to chapter 3 and verse 10 through 15. Think about the times of religious activity in Amos chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5. Think about the enthusiastic celebrations in Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. There was a time when making money was more important than the house of worship. Amos chapter 8 and verse 4 and 5 is crystal clear. That's what was going on during that day. And then the time of the rich exploiting the poor and justice was corrupt according to Amos chapter number 5. It parallels the day in which you and I live. A lot of folks say, well, you know, that was written a long time ago. Preach that to somebody else. No, it applies today. Now, God had one message in mind, one meaning when it comes to the Word of God. And there's many applications. And by way of application, I believe God can help us today. But God moved in judgment, but Amos interceded on behalf of God's people. And I preached on Wednesday night the blessing of a praying people to a land. Somebody says, well, can prayer really make a difference? You better believe it did. You think about this, there's three visions that Amos sees here in Amos chapter number 7. The first one, he sees these grasshoppers, which basically was these locusts that would come in and would devour the land. They would attack from the surface up. But you'll find where Amos began to beg God and he beseeched the Lord. And the Lord said, this shall not be. So he diverted the wrath and the judgment of God coming to Israel because somebody stood in the gap and got on their knees and prayed. And God said, this shall not be. Then God sent another vision unto Amos. He said, now what do you see? He showed him a devouring fire that burned down into the great deeps. Now, the locusts, these grasshoppers, they affected above the ground. But this devouring fire that he talks about would devour underneath down into the great deep, and a part of it was burned up. Well, Amos seen that judgment, and he cried out and begged to God, I beseech you, Lord, I beg you, don't do that. And the Lord said, this shall not be. Two times, Amos, by praying, diverted God's judgment. So there's the blessing of a praying people to a land. You know what our country needs more than anything from us? needs us on our knees. You say, well, I can't get on my knees. Well, pray standing. There's numerous ways to pray in the Word of God. You can lay prostrate. You can stand. You can kneel. You can have your head between your knees. Whatever it takes, man, just make sure you cry out to God because we're a needy people and we need God to intervene on our behalf. But there's a third vision that he's seen here in chapter number 7. And this is where we're looking today. Amos chapter 7 and verse number 7. Now, keep in mind, he's already diverted God's hand twice through prayer but now you don't see him pray. Now watch this in verse number 7. Amos 7 and verse 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line 
with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now let's pray. Father, as you bow in your presence, God, again today, Lord, I do thank you for the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the songs that we've heard that's ministered to our heart. I pray that it's prepared our heart for the preaching of your word. Now, Lord, as we look at this complex passage, Lord, this morning, I pray, God, you'd speak to hearts. Lord, as we look at the judgments that were diverted, Lord, you, you heard and you heeded the prayer of Amos, and you didn't send the grasshoppers and the locusts. You didn't send the devouring fire, but Lord, you did send the plumb line. And God, I ask the Lord today that you'd help us all to examine our hearts and our lives to see how we measure up today. And God, we'll be careful, Lord, to give you thanks and praise for what you do. If there's one lost today or one listening, unsaved and unprepared for eternity, I pray that you'd save that precious soul. While there's time and opportunity, help this feeble preacher to decrease now that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. God, we're going to give you thanks. We're going to give you praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus. Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, as we look at this text, a lengthy text, and listen, this is not a this will not be one of those bean and tater messages. This is a little more of a complex passage when you look here in the Old Testament. But I hope that by the time we get done, we'll be able to see what God is trying to relay to you and I today. Although it was applicable for the days of Amos and Jeroboam and Uzziah and Israel to the north and Judah to the south, it's also applicable for you and I today. God's got a message for me and God's got a message for you. This third vision uh, that Amos saw was the vision of a plumb line. Now, I forgot, Brother Brand, I didn't bring my, my measure or Christie's measuring stick. I used a yardstick down at the uh, down at the coast as a whole different passage, but I thought about bringing that to sort of demonstrate this plumb line. But when you think about a plumb line, now many of you that are in construction, you would know this, but a plumb line was used to make sure walls were constructed straight up and down. A plumb line was also used to test a structure after it had been built to see if the foundation had settled and tilted and got out of place and needed to be torn down. So Amos sees this. God said, what do you see? And according to verse number 7, the Lord's standing upon a wall with a plumb line in his hand. So as Amos looks, remember he's a herdman. He's a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He'd know what a plumb line was. Here God standing upon this, this building and upon this wall. And he said, what seest thou, Amos? Amos visualized. He said, well, I know what that is. That's a plumb line. What they'd use, they'd have a, it would be a line and maybe a weight at the end. And they would, they would either construct that wall. Think about it this way. If I had a yardstick and it's standing straight up, true. Now, today we use uh, levels and different things to make sure it's in plumb. But that plumb line would have a line, and it'd be a ball, and it would drop straight down. Now, if it was over this way, the, of course, the string would come out, and you'd look at the difference from over here to here, and that'd be how far out of plumb the wall was. And God is measuring this wall, and then he says, I'm going to measure my people 
is. The best way I guess I can explain that that we can visualize and see, many of you are familiar with the Leaning Tower of Pisa over in Italy. Now that thing was started in 1173 and completed in 1399. A little over 200 years it took them to construct the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That thing is eight stories high. You can look it up and you can research it yourself. But that thing, when they built it, when they got to the third story, Brother Kevin, they realized that the foundation had settled due to the brick and the mortars and the the weight of it and it wouldn't build on a sturdy foundation so it began to lean. At that point, they measured it, and it was two feet out of plumb. Now, in 2000, well, 1990, the Leaning Tower of Pisa was closed to the public because it went from two feet, after they built it on up to eight stories high, by 1990, it was 15 feet out of plumb. In other words, if you looked at a structure right here, if they dropped that line from the top, From there to the bottom, from here to this existing wall, it was 15 feet out of plumb. It had deteriorated. Well, they began to do work in 1990. They took out from the other side and began to put uh, concrete and different things. They, They put different to stabilize it. And in 2001, it was opened back up. And they put sensors up to see how far that it was drifting. Well, it said by 2008, it had stabilized with the work that they had done. But when you think about that, that plumb line from the top to the bottom, it shows you how far out of plumb it is. It started with two feet, and then they stopped uh, after they constructed the first three stories because the war among, this is all world history, but some of you probably don't care, and I don't really give a flip too much about it myself, but to get you what I want you to see is this. From the third story uh, to the eighth story, there was about a hundred-year gap. And that allowed the foundation to set a little bit more, and, uh, but it still was leaning, and it, it got a little worse year by year. And they even say that, that uh, Galileo, which was a scientist there in his hometown, was in Pisa. He was a professor of mathematics at the University of Pisa. They say that he stood on top of that one day from about 1579 to 1582, somewhere in that window, and he dropped two balls. One was made of wood, one was made of of metal. They were of the same volume, but they were different masses. And he wanted to prove a point. As he dropped both those, one was wood and one was metal, he dropped both of them, and of course they hit the ground at the same time. And, and, And think about that, it would have fell at an angle. When he dropped it, it would have fell next to the wall. It would have been way out there somewhere. Why? Because the structure was out of plumb. So keep in mind, Amos sees God with a plumb line on top of a wall. And he says, I'm going to measure my people. If God had dropped that line, he would have seen if that wall was straight. But if that wall was leaning as he dropped that line, it would have dropped down. And you'd seen how far out of plumb it was. If you partially with me, say amen. Here's this plumb line to see how God's people measure up. Well, what was the measurement? It was none other than the Word of God in which they had. Now, they did not have the 66 books as you and I do. They only had the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five, the first five books of the law. That's what they had. But they had deviated from it. Now, God said, I'm not going to send the grasshoppers, Amos, because you prayed. Lord said, I'm not going to send the devouring fire because you prayed. But Amos here, he didn't, I mean, Amos knew that when God had that 
plumb line. They were, he was measuring God's people, and only judgment would come. And you'll notice verse number 9, what's going to be affected. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Why was God going to send this judgment? He dealt with two structures in Israel that we'll deal with in just a second. But God's measuring stick was His Word. What's God's measuring stick today? It's still His Word. Some might say, when a preacher, how do I know how I measure up? We're, we're going to find out it's going to be pointed. It's going to be straight to the point. I mean, this ain't going to be no sugar-coated, watered-down message. I mean, it's going to be right where we live and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, you've got to answer the question. I have to answer the question. How do I measure up with God? Somebody says, well, I don't know how I can measure up with God. Sure you do. How do you measure up to the Word of God? Listen to what Joshua said in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8. God told him, he said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Now basically, our spiritual success is based upon our obedience to what God has said in His Word. I mean, that's elementary. That's 101. Our success spiritually depends on our obedience to the written word which God has given us. And by the way, that's the plumb line, Brother Harold, in which you and I are gauged. If he was to put a, a plumb line upon us today, would he find us out of measurement? Would we be out of plumb? Or would we measure up with the word of God? I believe all of us, by the time we get done, we're all a work. In progress. Can I get an amen right there? God reveals that he's going to judge two structures in the nation of Israel. And I just read it to you there in verse number 9. Notice with me again as he said in verse 8. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass, pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. In verse number 9, there's two structures that God, when he puts that plumb line and he compares the people of Israel up to his word, they're way out of plumb. And as a result of that, God said, I'm going to judge you in two different structures, religiously and politically. That's the two structures that God's going to judge. Verse number 9, he talks about the high places. What's he talking about? He's talking about those religious activities. Then he talks about the house of Jeroboam. He was the king of Israel, been reigning 41 years again, had strength, stability, security. He had reclaimed a lot of that land back, yet he forgot about God. He had a puppet of a priest by the name of Amaziah, as you read on in the book of Amos, and you look at this, God find them lacking and out of measurement. He said, I'm going to judge the religious system, and I'm going to judge the political system with the house of Jeroboam. Well, what's he going to do to the religious structure? Well, just flip back, and you don't have to if you don't want to, but jot these verses down. In, in, in Amos chapter 3, in verse number 14, this is what God said. This is in relation to the religious. He said, I'm going to judge this system. They were worshiping on every high hill. They were going through the, through the, through the religious veneer, but behind those 
religious walls. They were corrupt and they were wicked. Their heart was far away from God. God drew that plumb line and he found them lacking. They weren't measuring up to the standards that God had put in his word. And this is what he said about the religious structure in in Amos 3 and verse 14. That in the day that I shall visit the transgressors of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Now, the horns of the altar was a place of security. You go back and you look at the city, six cities of refuge. Somebody committed a crime. They could run to those six cities. They could grab a hold of the horns of the altar. And there, there was asylum. There, there was, there was a, a safety point. Well, listen, God said, I'm going to cut off the horns. At Bethel. Now, you think about the word Beth and the word of God. That's the second uh, letter in the alphabet of the Hebrew alphabet. Beth means uh, house. And El, what is El? That means God or deity. So Bethel means the house of God. And it was a place where God was to be worshipped. But man, they ended up worshipping golden calves there. And God said, as a result of that, I've drew the plumb line, and I've seen that you're out of plumb. You don't measure up, and I'm coming after the, the religious system. I'm going to cut off the horns of the altar. Notice also in chapter 4 and verse 4. Come to Bethel. And transgress at Gilgal, multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. You see, they were going, Brother Kevin, through the religious motions. They, they, were, they were like mechanical. Oh, they were coming when the doors were open, but their heart was far away from God. They might have fooled everybody else, but when God put that plumb line down beside them, they couldn't measure up to the Word of God. God found them them lacking, and He said, Judgment is coming. He said, I'm going to touch the religious structures. You go on to chapter number 5, still dealing with religious things. Chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal. Gilgal was another place where they worshipped. And pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. That house of God, house of deity, that place of worship. God said, there ain't going to be nobody going to help you there, because you're out of plumb. I'm going to touch the religious structures in the land of Israel. But not only... The religious structures was God going to judge because he found them out of plumb. He also said, I'm going to touch the political structure. Well, what's that? Look, look again in, in, in our text in chapter 7 and verse number 9 again. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate. That's where God is judging the religious system. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. That's what he's talking about. But notice the political side. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Well, what took place there? Well, the Bible lets us know that, that that was fulfilled. In 2 Kings chapter number 14, you'll find that Jeroboam died, and his son reigned in his stead only six months. And then that line was wiped out. Why? Because God had drew the plumb line. He saw them lacking, so he destroyed the high places and the religious centers in Bethel and Gilgal, sent them into captivity, but he also destroyed the political structure of Jeroboam to the north. For in 2 Kings 15, verse number 8, 
In the 38th year of Azariah king of Judah did Zechariah the son of Jeroboam reign over Israel in Samaria six months. Well, what happened then? The Bible tells us, verse 9, 2 Kings 15. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Shalom the son of Jabesh conspired against him, and smote him before the people, and slew him, and reigned in his stead. There was the end of that dynasty, Brother Harold. And the end of that dynasty was a direct result because they didn't measure up to the plumb line that God had put. They had deviated so far away. See, they was built on a perfect foundation. But they deviated away due to their rebellion. You say, well, now, preacher, now that's context. I mean, that's, that's history. That's what the Bible tells us right here, what went on. God, that third vision shows them this plumb line. All right, the religious structure is going to be destroyed because they don't measure up. The political regime of Jeroboam and all his crowd, his ancestors, they're done. Well, preacher, how in the world does that apply to me? Here we go now. Y'all ready to take a test? Anybody? How many of you like to take tests and take exams? Nobody does. But you're going to get one this morning. Because somebody might say, well, wait a minute, preacher, you're in the Old Testament. Now, we're living in New Testament economy. That's right. We're under grace. Thank God for it. But we're going to do a test this morning. God's going to pull the plumb line. I don't want you to think about your husband or your wife or your children. I want you to think about you. I don't want you to think about your neighbor. Preacher, how in the world do I know? How, how can I know if I measure up? How do I know if I'm out of plumb with God? Well, I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians. We're, we're just going to the book of Ephesians, and we're, we're just going to read some Scripture here and, and, and let, it, let it fall where it is. And I have to ask myself, as God draws a plumb line with His Word today, Am I measuring up or am I out of plumb? And you've got to ask yourself, as God draws the plumb line of the Word of God, are you measuring up to Him or are you out of plumb? Now, God wants to remedy. God wants to help somebody here. But how in the world can I know if I measure up? How do I know if, I, if I'm out of plumb? Well, listen to what the Bible said here in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 25, here is God's Plumb line. How do I measure up? How do you measure up? Look with me at verse 25. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Now, the Bible said to speak truth. Not to, not to embellish. Not to add to. Not to take away. We shouldn't lie. If, 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 you've, if you've got that characteristic Man, you're out of plumb. <laughs> I didn't get one amen. Verse number 26. Be angry and sin not. So there is a righteous anger, but there's an anger that also is sinful. As God pulls that plumb line down, he said, be angry and sin not. But if you cross that threshold, you're out of plumb. He goes on to say, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What's that mean, preacher? Don't go to bed mad. You go to bed mad, you get upset, well, you're out of plumb with God's standard. Notice this, look at verse number 27. Neither give place to the devil. When we go to bed mad, you know what we do? We just pull up a chair and say, come on, devil, just sit right here beside me. Come over here and sit in this recliner, sleep in this bed. We want you right here. So if you give place to the devil, you let, if you go to bed mad, listen, you're out of plumb with God. I mean, that's what, basically, God's, the Word of God is our plumb line. We ain't done. We ain't even close to being there. Look at verse number 28. Let him that stole steal 
no more. <laughs> Think about this. Cheat on your taxes. I don't like it either. Cheat on your taxes. You're out of plumb with God. I got one amen. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Hey, here's the key if you're in the habit of, I hope nobody is, if you're in the habit of stealing something, take the biblical route, get a job, go to work, and quit stealing. That's God's plan. Well, America needs to hear that today. Amen. Ain't no work with his own hands. Y'all not eat. That's what the Word of God said. I understand there's disabilities. I get all that. But understand this. If that's us, we're way out of plumb from God. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, corrupt communication is not just cursing, although cursing is involved. If you've got a gossiping tongue, you're out of plumb with God. That's corrupt communication. God's pulling the line. He's pulling the line down, and you're where over here somewhere if you got corrupt communication, you got a gossiping tongue. Now go on now, watch this. He said, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That word edifying is building up. Is my speech, is it edifying? Is it building up? Is it truthful? Well, he goes on to say that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Is there communication? Does it minister grace unto the hearers? Unmerited favor. Does, does it do that? If not, we're out of plumb with God. Look, oh, it gets worse. Look at verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve means to pain. And we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we don't do what the Word of God tells us. To. When we're out of plumb, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let me say this. When we, when we deviate from... Everybody get this now. When God pulls that line and we look at it, whether we like it or not, if we don't do what God says, we're out of plumb. And when we're out of plumb, we shouldn't feel good. We should feel guilty. Yeah, man. As a matter of fact, God will convict our heart. God will deal with us. One of the reasons that God proves that He loves us is by His chastening hand. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. But God in His judgment, He proves His love to us through chastisement. Now, now notice in verse number 30 again. He said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, not some, but all bitterness. If you're used to being bitter, you may be bitter today. God's drew the plumb line down, and he's found you lacking. You don't measure up. You're out of plumb. And wrath and anger and clamor. That word clamor means outcry. That's when people get bitter. Most of the time it starts with bitterness or, or envy or jealousy, and they get mad. And they lash out at somebody and they don't say how. They scream. That's what clamor is. If you're in the habit of doing that, man, you're way out of plumb with God. Amen. He goes on to say, in evil speaking, be put away with you from, with all malice. You know what that word malice literally means in the original? It means depravity. It means evil. It means wickedness. God's pulling the line down. He said, let all that bitterness, let all that anger, let all that, that wrath, all that stuff be gone from you. If you don't, you're out of plumb with God. You don't measure up. Well, what, what comes when we don't measure up? Judgment comes. Amen. We're going to, I'm talking to God's people now. Look with me in verse number 32. 
And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So God said, we're, he pulls that line, we're to be kind. If we're not kind, we're out of plumb. He said to be tenderhearted, we're not tenderhearted, we're out of plumb. He said to forgive, we don't forgive, he's drew that line, we're out of plumb. We get out of plumb, that's when the judgment hand of God will fall just like it did in Amos' day. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a second. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Do you classify yourself or would God classify you as a follower of him? Now, to be a follower of God, sort of like to be in Christ, a Christian is somebody that is Christ-like. Would people closest to you define you as somebody that followed Christ? That's a good question. If not, you're out of plumb. Look at verse 2. And walk in love, as, watch this, as Christ also loved us, and hath given himself for us, and offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In other words, God said we're to walk in love as God has loved us. He pulls that line. Are we doing that? We loving people like we should? Amen. As God does, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. We ought to do that. We're not doing it. God finds us out of plumb. Look at verse number 3. But fornication. Fornication. You know what? Our English word is the Greek word pornea, which we get our English word fornication or, or, or pornography from. He said, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks, those dirty jokes that you endure or you say. God pulls a line and said, man, you're out of plumb. Notice with me, verse number 21 of Ephesians 5. We're just still taking a test and exam here. God's pulling that plumb line down. Verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then he said in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, husbands, before you say amen, God pulls the plumb line. Wives, are you submitting unto your husbands as unto the Lord? Are you submitting one to another in the fear of God? If you're not, you're way out of plumb. Now, watch this. Verse number 23, God gives a reason why. For the husband is the head of the wife. God's the one that orchestrated this thing. He, he designed it. And he organized it. For the husband is the head of the wife. Doesn't mean that the wife is any less. It's just God's structure and design in which he put in. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, the husbands, that I hope, didn't just elbow their wife when, when I just said that wives are to submit their, to their husbands as to the Lord. Because, men, you've got the greater responsibility. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. If you love your wife like Christ loved the church, she ain't going to have a problem submitting under your authority. As you submit one to another. But that's responsibility. That's the plumb line. That, that ain't the preacher's idea. God dropped the plumb line. How do you measure up? How do I measure up? We ain't done. Look with me in verse number uh, chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 1 of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord, for this is right. Children, God dropped the plumb line. You obeying your parents in the Lord? God said, this is right. He said, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Our fathers, here it is for us. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God drops the plumb line. I mean, everybody's covered. Nobody gets an exemption. Everybody gets a plumb line dropped. Well, how do we measure up? Well, notice also verse number five. What about when it comes to work as an employee and as an employer? God covered it all. Look at verse number five. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh 
with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. The employee and the employer relationship is seen right here. I mean, there are certain structures that are put in front of us, even Romans 13. I mean, God puts in, God puts in law enforcement. We're to obey that. There's a certain respect and authority that's required of God's people. If we don't do that, God drops a plumb line and he finds us lacking. We don't measure up. He goes on to say in verse 6, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good and will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Well, what about the employer to the employee? Verse number 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening. Man, if you don't quit doing it, I'm going to fire you. God pulls the... Plum line says, well, you're out of plumb. Amen. What's he talking about? Forbearing, threatening. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Now, that's just a little bit of a test. An example, there, I mean, there's a, the whole word of God is certainly important. And somebody said, well, man, that sure did hurt my feet. I hope it didn't hurt your feet. I was aiming for your heart. God was aiming for my heart when he, when he pulled that plumb line on me. And when I look at that, he drops that plumb line. I see, man, you know, I, I'm way over here. In a, not just one. I mean, there's more than one hit me. If you're honest, there's probably more than one that hit you. Well, preacher, what, what are we supposed to do? We better get back in line, back in plumb and measure up with God. Why? If not, judgment will come. Amen. A lot of folks say, oh, God, God wouldn't judge his people. Are you kidding? What do you think God was doing there in the book of Amos? You look all the way through the word of God, God judges his people. There's judgment here. Now listen, thank God if you're saved by the marvelous grace of God, you'll never feel the flames of hell. Can I get a witness right there? There's the encouraging point in this message. You better shout while you can. We ain't going to hell if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But somebody that willfully and deliberately and persistently knows that it's wrong and continues to do it. And they're out of plumb, and they know they're out of plumb. Only judgment remains. Amen. Proverbs 29, verse number 1. He that uh, being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. That crowd has said, yeah, I heard you, preacher, but I'm going to do my own thing. It's my life. I can do what I want to. I beg to differ, friend. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, ask the question, what? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Listen, when a person gets saved, you can't just go out and, I mean, you can, and just live like you want to. But God moves inside of you, and God changed your life. I still believe 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are become, all things are become new. Thank God those old things pass away. New things, everything is new. In other words, Jesus changes your life. Somebody says, well, you know, I made a profession of faith, but my life ain't never been changed. You better check up. Make sure you got born again. Because the Lord changes your life. You won't be sinless. But you ought to sin less than you did prior to that profession. Amen. Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And it's not a list of, you know what, I, I, I don't. 
I don't preach to be saved. I preach because I am saved. I, I don't work for the Lord to be saved. I work for the Lord because I am saved. There's a great difference. A great difference in the two. But as we measure up to the Word of God, if we deliberately and willfully and persistently sin just in these areas in which we look, and there, you look at the whole Word of God. James put it this way in James chapter 1 and verse number 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. What's that? That's the word of God. The word of God. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth, there, continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What's that mean? That means if we're a doer of the word, it's more than just hearing. A lot of folks hear, but they never apply. But as we hear, we're to be a doer of the Word. And according to the Word of God, if we're a doer, we're obedient to Him, then we'll be blessed. Well, what's the opposite of being blessed? That's cursed. If you hear the Word of God, you don't do it. You rebel against it. You deliberately and willfully and persistently sin against God. Then judgment does remain. Think about this. Somebody says, well, now preacher, will, will, will God judge His people? Will he, change, will he judge a saved man and a saved woman? Absolutely. 100%. You know why a lot of people are sick all the time, Brother Harold? Because of sin. God's people. Stay with me now. Now, not all sickness can be, you know, tracked back to a specific sin, but some can. And I can prove that by the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, you remember when they were partaking of communion? And some came and they, the Bible said they drunk unworthy. In other words, they, uh, they, didn't, they didn't get right with God. He didn't clear out sin. They, God had pulled that plumb line. They seen they were out of plumb, but they went ahead and they partook of the communion table. They took of that, that bread that represented the broken body of the Lord Jesus. They took that little cup of juice and it represented the blood of Christ. They, they done it. Didn't even think nothing about their relationship with God. And as a result of that, God said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, and, and verse number 30, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That word sleep is died. <laughs> you study your Bible in 1 John chapter number 5, and verse number 16, the Bible said there is a sin unto death. As a result of somebody dry, and this, this really is a dangerous message. I mean, it's a dangerous message. What I mean by that is, Nobody that's sitting here or listening to this message can plead ignorance after we leave. God drops the plumb line. We look how we measure up with God, and maybe we're out of plumb over here. If you don't get that right today, and you don't get right in God, and you deliberately go on and willfully and persistently go on and do the same thing you've been doing, only judgment remains. And part of that is, again, one of the reasons that ways that God proves He loves us is through His chastity. And you just read Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6. There's somebody that sins all the time. God never deals with their heart. They don't ever feel guilty. They don't ever feel bad. They just go on. It don't bother them to sin. They probably ain't never been born again. The Bible calls them a bastard and not a son. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 12. That's what God said. But there's a lot of folks that are sick today. A lot of folks die prematurely. Why is that? Because God pulls a plumb line in their life. They know it's wrong. Willfully, deliberately, persistently, they go on and do their own thing. God judges them physically. And He will judge here. No, you, there's a lot of people going to, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, oh yeah, they'll be in heaven saved as so as by fire. They won't never see the flames of hell. But boy, they'll be judged down here. Now, Sister Savannah's coming. Again, as I said a moment ago, this is a dangerous message. 
Because as you look at this, we think about God. God is a God of love, and He sure is, thank God. God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy and a God of grace. If that line drops down and we've seen the error of our way and, boy, we're out of plumb, we don't measure up, boy, today would be a good day to run to the altar and say, God, get me back on track. And he will confess that sin. But if you don't, just as it was in Amos' day, God's people had God out of plumb. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to touch that religious structure. I'm going to touch that political structure. And boy, you something that, something that really scares when you look at, look at Hosea chapter 4 and verse number 6. Read later on in the book of Amos. The whole families, Brother Harold, down the line were affected. God said, I'm going to forget your children. Turn your back on me willfully, deliberately, persistently. I'm going to forget your kids. Look at America. Hey, man, look at America. I'm glad the devil ain't got all the young people. I'm telling you, there's a majority of them that's out there in the left field. Hey, man, lost and undone without God, wondering. Part of that's a direct judgment. You can't convince me any otherwise of Almighty God, of a people that willfully, deliberately, persistently go on and do their own thing. If you looked at Amos' days, oh, yeah, man, they going to the sanctuary. They going to Bethel. To the house of God. There's going to Gilgal. The religious ceremonies was going on. There's going to the house of God. But when they come to worship, all they were thinking about, according to chapter 8, verse number 5, was how they's going to make money when they got out of the Sabbath day, out of that house of worship. See, there's more interest in making money than they were worshiping God. God said, All right, I'm not going to send those grasshoppers. I'm not going to send that devouring fire. But I am going to touch them religiously, and I'm going to touch them politically. I think part of the results of what we're dealing with today is part of that is to judge my hand of God. But boy, we can divert some of that by getting back in plumb with what God expects from His people. Above all, if you're here today and never been saved, you don't know Jesus the Savior, He loves you. He died for you. And listen, God proves His love by that chastening hand. But we can afford some of that chastening by staying in plumb and measuring up to his word as we stand all over the house. Let's pray. Father, and I love you and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to share your word. Lord, a very complex message, but Lord, needed and necessary in my own heart and life. Lord, I pray that every one of us would examine our hearts and our lives as we, how do we measure up, Lord, your word. We're just looking in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 and 5 and 6. Lord, no doubt all of us have come short. Nobody comes out squeaky clean. But Father, help us not just to stay unmoved. I pray, God, you'd move us back into a right measurement with you and your word. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy, love, and grace. God, I pray that you'd save that sinner to sneer sale. Help us to be, God, what you want us to be. We'll be careful to give you thanks and praise for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Hello friends, this is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world. 
to equip the saints of God for service and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meat service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me 
except the Father which had sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8.1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.